I got a green light. There we go. Okay, now you guys really are in trouble. But uh, with that, just kind of looking at what's taking place, uh, I don't know about you, I'm kind of glad the holidays are over. A little partied out. Based on our uh, leadership group earlier, uh, obviously some of you can't wait for your kids to go back to school. Seemed like that was a common sentiment with, uh, with a few of you. Uh, we had a great time over the holidays as far as uh, just the kid thing was really kind of awesome. I'm not quite sure why other than God, but uh, our son spent the week with us, which uh, was really incredible. Basically a few days before Christmas to his birthday on the 29th. And uh, we got to do one of those wonderful father-son projects, which I haven't done in years. Uh, we're both kind of auto enthusiasts. I, I know most of you probably know that about me, having been in auto sales and with some of the various vehicles I've owned through the years. But uh, he had this Integra, which I'm a little envious of. I've got my beater matrix, and he's got this incredible Integra. And, uh, you know, those halo headlight, headlights? Well, uh, he wanted those for Christmas and his birthday, so we hooked him up, and uh, he stumbled on them. Jackie was a little upset about this. Why don't you go ahead and explain it from here? <laughs> I had them up in my office. They're in a black box, which there really isn't anything on the outside of the box except for a little speedometer in the bottom left-hand corner. And he needed something, so I sent him up to my office. And uh, he comes back downstairs. Uh, sometimes that works, you know. Anyways, he comes back. He comes downstairs a couple days before Christmas. He's like, well, you know, you guys said you might not be able to get them. Well, we got them. Can we install them? So we dropped the front end of his car. It took us about an hour and a half. We installed them. And... You know, every time he walks past his car now, it's like, it's kind of checking out the headlights, you know. But uh, it is definitely great to be back in the mix, looking forward to uh, what 2013 has for us. I think one of the highlights for me last year was ultimately our party that closed out 2012, and having the opportunity to watch that video, and it's amazing, I mean, for me, a lot of the stuff I watch, I'm like, okay, was that last year? You know, you, you think through it, it's like... Man, this happened and that happened. I mean, look, we had 15 people baptized and restored to Christ last year, which was incredible. I think just kind of looking at some of the different situations that took place, there were potential divorces that were squashed. There were families that were reunited. Just even the leadership group that we have, all the new small group leaders, all the new community group leaders, all the new shepherds that we have. Uh, just really incredible to see how God's working. And then our... Serving the poor locally within our community, going from a year ago where we had MLK and a few of you were doing your own things, which was awesome, but to see just the exponential growth that has taken place there, how you guys have embraced those different programs that we've got going on, the lives that are being changed, the inroads that are being made, knowing ultimately that there will be people that come to Christ because of this, for me, in and of itself, was really phenomenal. The increase in giving that we've seen in a lot of different areas, both in our time and our finances. And I really look back at 2012 as a year that God was glorified, which really has me excited about what's going to be taking place in 2013. Rodriguez, and then um, and then we had our uh, marriage for dummies, which is great because you know some of us are dummies in our marriage, you know. And then we have our Get Smart ongoing class and uh, parenting with all our minds and you know learning how to control our elephants. Yeah. For some of us, that's a little harder than others. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was great 20, 2012. But it is great to see everybody. Um, some of you, last time I saw you, you were dancing on the dance floor at uh, the temple. Wheaton was Santa last time I saw him. I think everybody in here knows. (laughs) But anyway, um, but yeah, it was great. And it was great to have our end of the year um, appreciation dinner either uh, as well. But in your package, you do have, um, well, typical things, itinerary. And then there's, Steve will explain some of the other things in there. But you do have your calendar for the year. Um, Prayerfully, it will not change. And then you have the South Bay Financial Ministry Financial Worksheet. This is not to stress you out. This is to help you decide. I mean, very few of us would be able to, or few of you, and us included, would be able to afford all these things. But this is, gives you an idea of what the cost is and what you would need to save a week. Um, and when you break it down by week, I think it's a little more doable. And then you can pick and choose what is most important to your family and um, what you guys want to uh, do financially. 
But anyway, it's great to have everybody here. I am happy 2012 is over. Not that it wasn't a, but you know, it was a great year, but it's just great to have a new start and fresh beginnings. And it was great having our kids um, with us. And I know some of the leaders were really excited when school went back into session. And, um, you know, it was great having Stephen, but it is great to see him drive away and take all of his stuff with him and his laundry. So, amen. And for those of for those of you who know Jackie, uh, you know, there's this little thing about order and neatness, and I won't get into any of the other labels that apply, but uh, I really kind of notice how sloppy our kids are. You know, you got them there for a week, and one's sleeping on a couch, and, you know, you start accumulating things in places you don't, places you don't normally accumulate. But 2012 has come to a close, and we're about to come out on the stage of 2013. Are we ready? Are we ready? Well, hopefully, if not, we'll be able to get to the point that we are. And I think really understanding when it gets right down to it, guys, Satan doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't go on sabbatical. Um, he's always out there, always on the prowl. And with that, we've got to be prepared. You know, I want you to imagine for a minute, as you think about 2013, what it's going to look like. You know, some of you maybe have dreams or hopes for your children becoming disciples this year. Some of you, maybe it's a better walk with God on a personal basis. Others, maybe there's an area of growth that you're really hoping and praying and dreaming they'll change this year. Maybe it's work-related, your career. Some of you are back in school. You've got dreams there about what the next chapter of your life's going to be with these things. You know, the things that we pray for, things that we hope for, things that we work for, you know, to be all that we want to be when it comes to our marriages and our families, our finances, our jobs, etc. I think the thing that's really key moving forward is that we need 3D vision. What all does that mean? Well, if we get to the next slide here, coming out of Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it reads, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You know, why are each and every one of us here today? God's got roles for us. God has things ordained for us to do and responsibilities that He's designated to each and every one of us that decided to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. My role, based on the scripture that we just read, is to equip you and to make sure that you're equipped properly when it comes to clarity, clarity of vision, the ability to really see on a spiritual realm what it is that's taking place in our local communities. So today we're going to talk about 3D vision, which, breaking that on down, the specifics here, and I guess I'm just going to have to get your guys' help with the slides, the remote's not working here. But what we're looking at is just really getting to the basics here. Discipleship, devotionals, and dating are the three things we're going to be taking a look at in our uh, messages here throughout the course of this afternoon. Now, we do know in South Bay, one of the things that's a given, we've talked about throughout the two years that we've been here, is there's certain things that we view and know are important as a ministry in South Bay. Your marriage is important. For those of you that are married, you guys pretty much in agreement with that? I know when it's not going well, it's that much more important for it to get back to where it needs to be. And I'm grateful for discipling. I'm grateful for the, the brothers that throughout the ministry here that helped me out in my role as a husband, my role as a parent, which, you know, even with a 27-year-old now, scary, my son's 27, our daughter's 24, there's still issues, there's still challenges, there's still things happening there. The secondary thing that we know that we, we really want to focus on is the spiritual well-being of our families. That's a priority, as we see in Joshua 24, verse 15. And then ultimately, what our mission is as a family ministry moving forward, which is being on a mission to save other families. Now, you know, before we uh, take a look at 3D vision, I want to go ahead and explain 2D vision here a little bit. I'm sure we've got some engineers in the group that could do a much better job in this, but from a simplified basis, what I understand it to be is that the length and width of something lying in the same plane. Is that relatively there? Okay, cool. 
Three divisions a little bit more involved. Now, if we could uh, turn the lights off for a minute here. Or down. Yeah, no glasses yet, okay? I don't want anybody to jump in the gun here. Um, we see a picture. It's, you know, you know, there's some colors. and Is that clear? How about the next one? Well, it seemed like a little out of focus, not a whole lot of clarity. How about this one? <laughs> there, there's the final one in the series. Now, to get an idea as to what 3D vision is, and I'm, not, I'm just going to breeze through this, okay? I mean, three-dimensional space is a geometric three-parameters model of the physical universe in which we exist. These three dimensions are commonly called length, width, and depth, or height, although any three directions can be chosen, provided they do not lie in the same plane. That's about the only thing I understand and understood about this when I read it, is that you got these three different things going on, and they're not in the same plane. So I assume that's where you get the depth from. Now, this is kind of mine here. Visual perception is the God-given ability to interpret the surrounding environment by processing information that is contained in visible light. Now, as we uh, move forward here, we'll go ahead and uh, take a look at 3D vision. We can get you guys to all put your glasses on. Now, is Caesar here? Do you have your camera, my brother? I'd be surprised if he didn't. Okay, everybody's got to participate in this. Let's get our glasses on. This is kind of looking 50s retro from up here, man. Kind of funky. <laughs> now, I don't know if we, if you, Caesar, do you have your camera? Oh, my gosh, my brother. We had a major photo op here, but oh well. Okay, now, moving forward here, our next slide. You got your glasses on? Ooh, ah, ooh, what are, we, what are we thinking? Does that look a little bit better, a little clearer? How about the next one? That, that looks like cypress trees in uh, Italy to me. What, what are we dealing with, maybe? Uh, somewhere over there? I'm wanting to go on vacation. Um, what about that one? Is that majorly different? You know, look at the arches and the beams and these uh, supports here at the front. How about that one? Ooh, ah, ooh. Okay, we can turn the lights back on here. <laughs> so just kind of moving forward here, 3D vision, what we're going to be dealing with today is the spiritual realm. 3D vision in the spiritual realm is the ability to interpret the surrounding environment by processing information that is contained in God's Word to give us true clarity as to the actual condition of our friends, family, and community. Simplified version of that, right there, to see through the eyes of Jesus. And how did Jesus view things? Matthew 9, verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, discipleship, when it comes to 3D vision, I think ultimately really understanding here that every disciple is a disciple maker. You know, the, the Great Commission as we know in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's not a call for a few of us, but it is a command for each and every one of us. And, you know, when it gets right down to a disciple, what is a disciple? Well, looking at it from a little bit different perspective, I think it's really understanding that we are not an audience. We're not called to be an audience of spectators. You know, we are a fellowship of disciples, of disciple makers. According to Robert Coleman, author of the Master Plan of Evangelism, he says, discipling men and women is the priority around which our lives should be oriented. The Great Commission is not a special calling or a gift of the Spirit. It is a command and an obligation upon the whole community of faith, the disciples. There are no exceptions. Bank presidents, automobile mechanics, physicians, school teachers, theologians, and homemakers. Everyone who believes on Christ is a part of his work. John 14, verse 12. The Great Commission is a lifestyle encompassing the total resources of every Christian disciple of Christ. Here the ministry of Christ comes along with staff position, a Christ-like commitment to bring the nations into the eternal kingdom is part of it. If making disciples of all nations is not the heartbeat of our life, something is wrong. Either with our understanding of Christ's church 
or a willingness to walk in his way. Again, what is a disciple? Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word for disciple is mathetis. That word, all it means is learner or pupil. So ultimately, from the time, point in time that we're baptized into Christ, what are we supposed to be? And is that a past tense? No, that is, a, that is present tense. That is who we are supposed to be each and every day of our lives. And that's what I love about the Bible. There's always something new. There's always something to come away with. There's always something to learn. There's always something new to apply the Scriptures to. So we think about that. You know, we talk about this when we study the Bible with people. The word Christians only used three times in the Bible. The word learner is listed 268 times when it comes to our walk with Christ. And, you know, this is the key question, I think, for all of us as we sit here this afternoon is, from whom am I learning? Well, Jesus Christ is Jesus. In every area of life. It's really simple. But I think as we study the Bible, and this is something that this past year I've done a much better job of applying my own personal walk, especially when it comes to the areas of my quiet times, is when I have them, and it's a good thing to have, amen? When we read through the New Testament, there are a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. And these are questions I asked myself throughout last year. What is Jesus saying to me personally? And really thinking that through as we read through the New Testament. And ultimately, when it comes to what Jesus is saying to me, what am I doing in response to what he says to me? You know, as we worship God, we read the Bible, we walk our dog, watch TV, interact with our boss, train and teach our children, or spend our money, Jesus wants us ultimately to be learning from him in each and every situation. What is he saying in those specific situations? And ultimately, what do we do in response to what revealed, is revealed to us through the scriptures? In Matthew 11, verse 29... Jesus gives us a word picture here in this passage when it comes to 3D vision. How he wants us to walk, what he wants from us as disciples, and as he disciples us through the word. Keep in mind, he says this in the context of pointing out what's going on in this passage here. This is the revealing of the Father. Matthew 11, verse 29. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, we all go through this. We all are burdened from time to time, right? And there's a difference between being burdened and being burdened and weary. And that difference is whether or not we're yoked to Christ. The thing that's cool is the, the yoke, we've talked about this, but I think the thing that's key here is just realizing disciple is a learner. When it came to plowing in the old days, you know, with the advent of the tractor, we don't see that going on today with that head of oxen, two oxens with a yoke. The reality of it was, why the two? One, it's easier to plow the ground, right? You've got those two oxen sharing the burden. But the reality behind it was, is you had an older oxen that had already been trained, that knew what was going on. So what do you do with that yoke? You hook it up to a younger oxen. It didn't have that degree of awareness. They, you know, you guys, how many of you guys have ridden trail horses? Do they know the trail? It's a, I hate it! It's not any fun! They, I do this with the reins and I'm kicking them in the whole bit and what goes on? Same speed, same place, same direction. Horse will do the same thing anytime you get on it. Well, it's kind of what goes on with these oxen here. Is the older one trains the younger one. One, he becomes stronger. He's having to keep pace with the older one. But eventually he gets used to it. And you know what? They realize they've got to pull together. The furrows need to be straight. And you know what that makes? It makes for an incredible planting situation. Very easy for the farmers to get out there and plant their seed. But guess what? It's every bit as easy come harvest time. Everything's organized. It's in line. It's straight. It's easy to work off of. And that's what it means to be yoked with Christ. He's the older, more mature oxen in this situation. We're the younger one needing the training. And even with that, you throw the younger oxen in there with the older oxen, which one of the two do you think is doing more of the work? And this is exactly how it is with Christ. We're always going to be burdened, guys. Newsflash, 2013 ain't going to be any different or better than 2012 when it comes to the burden aspect of things. But it can be totally different if you're yoked to Christ. And the means of that is making sure that we're involved in spiritual relationships with God through the Scriptures, but we're involved with discipling with one another as well. We can share that burden. 
so we don't become wearisome, so we don't walk away from what God has established for us and what God has already given us. Amen? So from whom am I learning? You know, a true disciple of Jesus is someone who has chosen to learn from Jesus in every single aspect of life. One of the things that Jesus, I think, imagined with his team, again, was that degree of unity, the ability, what would take place, the working smarter, not working harder. And I think a lot of times we, we, we lose sight of what we have in Christ. And we, we try to map it out on our own. We try going our own way. And it really becomes discouraging. And just really, I, I can't say this enough, if you're discouraged, I guarantee you, you're not yoked to Christ. And it doesn't have to be discouraging. It doesn't mean that it's going to be burdensome free or burden free, but it does mean that you'll have a means of dealing with things on a much better and greater level than you have been up to this point in time. You know, Christianity without discipleship, without discipleship at its core, all it makes for is church attendees and church visitors. And this isn't what Jesus intended. John Wimber writes, The primary criterion for becoming one of the twelve during Jesus' day was a willingness to follow Christ, to walk with him, and to choose to become like him. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that kind of talks about this a little bit here as well, which says, Tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I may remember. Involve me and I'll understand. And one of the most effective ways to be a disciple who makes disciples is what? Simply model it. Walk it. Show it. Demonstrate it. You know, Jesus kind of, Paul understood this in 1 Corinthians 1.11 where he says, Paul says to us, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. You know, how do we become disciples who make disciples? Short answer is through relationships. Now, you all have a little note sheet in your uh, folders there. If you would take that out, I think you've got pens as well. There's no quiz involved here that counts for any points or any of that. So, uh, you know, I know some of you are flashing back to first principles here. Which isn't a bad thing, amen? But I, I want to take a minute here for a demonstration. What I want you to do right now, and I won't be offended by this, I want to establish that on the front side too, so I want you to list all the sermons or lessons or teachings that have changed your life. You know, we can all play the Jeopardy theme song in our heads while you're doing that. I want you to write down all the sermons or messages, that, lessons that you've heard that changed your life. As many as you can come up with specifically from a standpoint of remembering who spoke it and what the message was. You don't have to get into the points or whatnot. Looks like most of you are already done. <laughs> like I said, I won't be offended. I don't think Marco will either, or Brian. So with that, how many did you come up with? Any of you come up with two? A couple? Any of you come up with three? <laughs> Four? Okay, I mean, I came up with four, and I knew what I was doing, and it took me a long time to come up with them. And, you know, and this is 22 years of Christianity. The one that stood out the most to me was one of my first ones, which was Marty Fuqua years ago, where he was kind of going after things in the style that Marty does. And, you know, we were at the, the Shrine Auditorium, and there's exit doors all along the top. And all, the only aspect I really remember of it is I thought it was cool, and this is a man's man, and he is just flat laying it out. He's all, there's an exit over there, 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 don't let it hit you in the bottom way out! In Marty style. But you know, when it really comes right down to it, there ain't a whole lot of detail above and beyond that with the other one. So, let's try another exercise here for a moment. I want you to list all the relationships that you've had that have changed your life. Go ahead and write those down. Well, it heads down a lot longer already. <laughs> okay, for time's sake, I'm going to have to break this up. I figured you guys would be done by now. But, guys, can we see the contrast here? I mean, is there a major contrast here? I, I would imagine some of you that write fast probably, how many of you already have five written down? I mean, look at this, guys. Look around. Almost 80% of the group. And I think what this states here is the power of personal relationships to transform our lives is absolutely amazing. Just like Jesus. That's how Jesus did it. 3D vision gives us clarity of vision, 
to live as Jesus did so that others can see it. Now, final, final one here. I want you to write down experiences that have altered your life. It could be a mission trip, adopting a child, giving money to missions, hope, serving the needy, bringing someone to Christ, whatever. Take a minute and do that. Any, any experiences in your life that have had a major impact and altered your life? Now I'm going to go ahead and cut in here. I would venture to guess, and you, you guys, you know, it might even be a good exercise to continue on your own after today. But I would venture to guess, given enough time, that most of you here probably would have come up with a double-digit list. I know for me, thinking back through some of the different things that have taken my, place in my life, I'll never forget Sam Koo and Deuce Nguyen in the East region, who were part of the Vietnamese team that we sent out years ago. I'll never forget the team that we sent out to Russia, uh, having had the opportunity this past year to go to Honduras in the past, Soweto, South Africa, uh, Smoky Mountain in Manila, Philippines. These were life-changing events for me. And I could probably put together a list of 30 or 40 things. You know, even, even God uses things in our lives before we were Christians. I remember the birth of my kids. That was the first semblance of realizing there had to have been something spiritual going on for a guy who was agnostic to come to that conviction was pretty amazing. But this is how God works. And I think as important as information is, we need to understand relationships and experiences are way more effective. We just demonstrated that here for you today to see. Amen? So if discipleship is hearing Jesus and obeying him, that's the primary way that, that Jesus is going to be revealed to others is people being able to see Christ in us. You know, who are you in the workplace? Who are you in your neighborhood? Who are you when you're out and about? And the thing that's so awesome about this, guys, we don't have to have the Bible memorized. We know what it took for our lives to change. We know what it took to be ushered into the kingdom. We've got the story. We've got the goods. We've got the stuff. Just by walking in accordance with what God established through Christ to have an incredible impact in 2013. You know, when I read something in the Bible, the key questions I asked myself were, what does Jesus say to me and what am I going to do about it? And our goal here, we've got to understand, guys, is not to gather more information or knowledge. It's helpful. I mean, it's definitely helpful. But our goal is to become more like Jesus, which means we have to respond to his word in both deed and action. The word that I'm reading or the word that I'm hearing. You know, it's that simple. Discipleship isn't complicated. But it does mean that we've got to be fully engaged on a heart level in order for it to work, especially with one another and Christ. You know, as we disciple others, we need to make sure that we're getting into the Word, that we're using the Bible. We need to really help people on a heart level understand what it means when it comes to the different passages that are established in the Word. And ultimately, what is Jesus saying to me in those situations, and what am I going to do about it? You know, in the next passage, in Mark 5, verse 1, Jesus shows us how simple discipleship is if we're humble enough to listen. Mark 5, verse 1. It reads, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but had snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. That sounds a little bit like Rudy Casillas, doesn't it? That, just the change part, okay? Some of you are overstepping here a little bit. But it says, And always right, uh, night and day he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send him out into the region. Now a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. And the demon begged him, send us to the pigs, so we may enter them. And he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit came out, entered the pigs, and a herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by legions sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave the region. 
As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. You know, I think this is one of the things we've got to really embrace first and foremost. What was this guy's response when he realized that he had been healed? He was grateful. And what did he want? He came to this incredible realization that, look at where I've been. Look at what I was. Look at what was going on in my life. This is the guy that fixed me. I want to hang with him. I want to be with him. And on a hard level, guys, isn't that who we all are? After we've become Christians, when we look at what's been healed in our own lives and continues to heal. We're never going to be perfect until the day that we die and we ascend into heaven. But we have this ability through Christ to continue to heal all the past wrongs, all the past hurts, all the past harms, all the past losses. If we just keep that realization as to why we're here and who we are today. Verse 19, it continues. It says, Jesus wouldn't let him know. Instead, he told him, Go back to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. You know, what did Jesus tell him to do? Tell him to go. God was sent. Now, from a schooling standpoint, how much biblical help did this guy get from Christ? How much direction did he get? How many years of discipleship, 98R, and then transition to 101, did this guy have under his belt before he went? And why? I mean, what do we think when we look at this situation? Is Jesus out of his mind? Are you kidding me? This guy's been a total mess. He's been living in a tomb. He's been cutting himself with stones. Jesus, he's got mental issues. There's challenges here. There's problems here. And what did Jesus do? Go. Just let him know. Proclaim what I've done for you. Isn't that something each and every one of us can do? Honestly, how complicated is it? This is who I was. This is who I am. This is what he did. That's it. That's how simple it is. And I think we we over-design it. We overthink it. We over-process it. We lose sight of the fact that, you know what? We have been healed. Slavery to Satan has been abolished. We've got true freedom in Christ. And we can continue. We've been adopted into that family. We can continue with that on a daily basis. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6, it reads, God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere. This is the message version. But God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. You know, we look at this passage. Just a few of us are baptized into Christ. Only a few of us get something. Is the gift any different for any one of us? It's the same. And we've got to be excited about that. You know, that's one of the other things I love about God. His love's unconditional. It doesn't matter what kind of a derelict I was in the past. You know, you may have, some of you out there, you may have only told a few white lies in your life. That wasn't me. But you know what? Your gift isn't any better than mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Neener, neener. I'm excited about that. I mean, that's awesome. That's totally phenomenal. And you know what else that means? None of us have an excuse. There's absolutely not one of us here that has a reason for why we can't do what this demon-possessed guy did and turn and proclaim to others how awesome Christ is. You know, there's a kind of a simple little formula I put together here. If I can get the uh, next slide. This is God's plan. Whoops. Too far there. We can uh, back it up one click. Forward one more. There we go. One more time. <laughs> okay, ultimately, what does God do? Sends his servants. What are his servants supposed to do? Just like the demon, proclaim. The servants preach. What happens when the word's thrown out there? People hear. What do heroes, heroes, hearers do if they have the right heart? They believe. And then ultimately what happens to everyone who believes? Everyone who believes is baptized and saved. 
It's simple. But you know what? There is a problem with this equation. If we don't get to there, what happens? If we pull that out, what happens? And here's the surprise. There's no plan B. That's it right there. We've got to adhere to this. We've got to realize this. We've got to remember what's at stake. There are billions of souls that unless we do what God has sent us to do, we'll never have the opportunity to make Jesus Christ Lord of the life. Real discipleship. It's messy. It's imperfect. And you know what? It's honest. Just like God's Word. You know, I think through the Bible... You look at all the different stuff that goes on, especially some of those early patriarchs. It was a mess. I mean, you know, stuff going on, people sleeping with each other within their families. I mean, you know, the litany, the list is crazy. Yet, what does God do? He still works through us. He still works through people. So, you know what I, what I did? I was thinking about this. and It kind of hit me about a week or two ago. There's another little handout in your folder. You want to pull that out. It's a little, the little transformonial outline. And I think this is something Brian Craig put together. I don't, I'm not quite sure how I got my hands on it. But this, there is an assignment that I'm giving each and every one of you to do. And that is I do want you to take this home and I do want you to fill it out. And I want you to pull it out every once in a while and look at it. And I'm not going to say that I would ever do this to anybody. I might entertain it. Back in the old days, I might have. But with, with the assignment, I can see myself coming up to you on a Sunday, asking, hey, did you fill out your transformational sheet? Hey, Amen, bro. I want, you to do tra- I, want to, I want you to do your little story for us this morning, how God works in your life. But here's the reality behind this. This is what we should all be able to do. I mean, do we love God? Are we excited about the way that he's worked in our life? But how many of us can't tell a two or three minute commercial? A little infomercial on how Jesus has worked in our lives. We need to be able to. We totally need to be able to. And I think if we take the time to do this, guess what? Instead of, you know, when it comes to church being, oh man, our kids' kingdom is phenomenal, which it is. Or our singing's phenomenal, you've got to come listen, which it is. It's not about the church. It's not about the building. It's not about the programs. What it is about is how each and every one of us have transformed lives in Christ. It's exciting. And we all have an exciting story to tell. We've got to believe that. We've got to embrace that. And guys, you know what? Instead of 15 people being baptized or restored to Christ as we had last year, there's absolutely no reason why every single small group in here can't bring at least one couple to Christ. There's no reason. Because you know what? Why are you here? We already demonstrated that. You did your little worksheet. Was it because of the messages? There may have been something that moved you on a heart level. But you know what? More often than not, I have people coming to me after service that, or someone that's visiting with me. You know, man, you guys need to do that more often. That story that person shared... I thought I was the only one dealing with those issues. I thought I was the only one that had these things going on. And that's the power of our lives in Christ. We all have a story to tell. And there will be someone that will respond to that story. You know, you look at that, again, real discipleship. It's messy. You look at Jesus' guys. What were the twelve? You know, what's one of the things I love about the Bible? God worked through... Ordinary, unschooled men. That makes me feel pretty good about myself. (laughs) Knowing that that's what God can do. And I I love looking to them. I mean, it's awesome to look to Jesus Christ. Amen? But I'd much rather look at His guys because you know what? They aren't God in the flesh. They're like us. And you know what? They screwed up. They had their issues. They had their challenges. They had their problems. But ultimately, they did take a stand for Christ. And you look at the impact that came out of that worldwide. You know, uh, Matthew 12, verse 48, Jesus' question about who his family is. And he stretches out his hands. He says, who is my mother, my brothers? And then he goes on to point out that his mother, brothers, sisters, who his family is, are those that do the will of God. 
Matthew 12, verse 48, again, that's, that's what he lays out there. Just really understanding what was going on at that point in time. What's important to God? What Jesus' expectation is for us? Knowing what he's done for each and every one of us individually. And it wasn't really understanding when it comes back to Matthew uh, 28. It's not about the going so much as it is that we are being sent. The passage says to go and make, but you know what? Where does that go come from? That's God charging each and every one of us that I'm sending you. You've got a story to tell. You can make a difference. There's a couple on your street. Someone's getting ready to sign the papers and get divorced. You know, sometimes it may take that for people to, to realize their need for Christ. I look at my sister-in-law who was converted last year. It's a miracle. You've heard us say it. For those of you that, I mean, you've got, I can't even put to words how huge a miracle that is. It wasn't because of anything Jackie or I said. We've been saying it for years. But there was one thing that she couldn't deny. 28 years later, she's looking at our marriage and wishing that she had some semblance of what we have. And you guys know it. It ain't perfect. It's got its issues. It's got its challenges. But there's the ability to overcome it with God. And she was willing to surrender to that. She realized, you know what? There, there's hope for me moving forward. Amen? So really understanding is that we can grow together if we're God-reliant. But if we don't devote ourselves to God the way the first, our first century's brothers and sisters did and teach each other in, in light of what God has laid out as far as expectations for us, as they did in the first century... We will stunt our own personal growth, and we'll also stunt the growth of God's family here in South Bay. You know, we've got Jesus' Word. We've got the Holy Spirit. It's within us. And I think with that, we should always be able to produce fruit by walking as Jesus has called us to walk. Now, I've been reading a lot of different books written by uh, various psychiatrists the last few weeks. And in one of them, there's an individual that was dealing with a patient and their belief system. And he talked about beliefs. Now, he had a patient that totally believed he could fly. Does that mean he could fly? No, there's this thing called reality that's in the mix. So it wasn't really a belief. This was a delusion. And I think we've got to be careful about that as a church and as individuals. We can call ourselves, we can believe that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. But what's the reality behind that? Just as with this guy that thinks he can fly, we think we're going to heaven. And, you know, that may sound a little harsh or maybe it's a little sobering. It really needs to be. Because there are no guarantees. The path is still narrow. The gate's still narrow. Those that will be saved are few. But the thing that's so awesome about it is we can get out of the delusional state and back into the reality mode that, you know, I believe I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and here's the fruit. This is what it produces. A great marriage. A great relationship with my kids. Christians with our kids. If we're modeling it, if we're walking it, if we're living it, we can go from being delusional about who we are and what we represent as a church and truly being just like our brothers and sisters in the first century, devoted to God, devoted to one another, devoted to the laws, devoted to prayer, devoted to fasting, devoted to all the things that we saw take place in that first century that just busted the world wide open for Christianity. You know, the thing I like about reality is, reality is just that. It's real. It's tangible. You know, I'm, I'm super excited about the people that came to the faith last year and those that were restored. But again, how much more can we do if we're all unified in our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if we're willing to extend that same grace and mercy that's been extended to us to others. There's a quote from uh, Frederick D. Huntington. You know, I think one of the things, too, just as we, we move forward with this quote that comes up here. What's it take to break a habit? I mean, there's a lot of us that are looking to break habits going into the new year, right? It takes another habit. It takes a habit to break a habit. We've got a few doctors in the group. When it comes to heart disease, you know, there's a few things that you need to change up. If you're overweight, that's going to have an impact on your health. It may mean one of two things, probably both. You need to exercise. 
you know, get that heart rate up a little bit, drop some weight, need to eat less. Those are the habits that need to be established in order to change that on up. You can have an impact on that. Uh, it may even be just a matter of getting in the habit of taking the meds the doctor prescribes. But it's, it's the same thing when it comes to this area of Christianity. Some of us have drifted you know, into bad habits. And in order to break the bad habit, you need to establish the right habit moving forward. Amen? Frederick D. Huntington in 4 Magazine, 1890. I thought this was kind of interesting. Again, that's not a page number. That's the year, 1890. It is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism, that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity that will ultimately kill it. You know, where have we heard this before? Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 says, what has, been, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. 1890. Doesn't that sound like today? It totally sounds like today. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges we're faced with today is that we have less reason than the bulk of the world to maintain our faith in God. You know, I think our biggest challenge will be able to maintain our love for God to the end and to love our neighbors to the end because of our lives and where we live. You know, the global median income is $1,225 a year. That's not a week. That's not a month. That's annual. And I think for us, I know for myself, I get caught up in this. That's why I'm grateful for some of these different things we have the opportunity to be involved with as a church. We don't really understand what it means to be needy. None of us do. You, you can take me to task on this after the service. None of us do. What income bracket, you know, just kind of thinking this through, what income bracket do you think represents the world's 1% elite? 50K? 75K? 100K? $500,000? A million dollars? The world's wealthiest elite, you know, this 1% group that we keep hearing about, is lower than you might think. It's $34,000 a year. That's the, that's the world's wealthiest 1%. By and large, that describes the United States. I mean, there are issues where people have it way more challenging than that. It's not the typical person that lives in the area that we live in. We are so blessed. We have very few needs. We have an awful lot of wants. And those wants are the things that are going to keep us from finishing the race. I want to read a quote from Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love. It says, lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so that they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured out and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. The refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. You know, in Luke 12, in the message, verse 16, it says, Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for the harvest. Then he said, Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, Self, you've done well. You've got a maid and you can retire now. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. You can kind of do your own interpretation in your head. That one works for me. I don't, I don't see him yelling or anything. He's kind of, come on, dude, are you serious? Fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. See, our biggest challenge is and will continue to be growing lukewarm. And ultimately what it gets down to is what are we filling up with? We're filling up with God. We're filling up with self. So I think one of the things we established today is we do need the depth of vision and clarity that we saw when we looked at those slides with our 3D glasses. Was there a little bit of a contrast between the two? And we need to be willing to take a close look at our own lives. And, you know, if we're really humble, we really want to be daring, we need to invite other people in 
and ask them to take a look at our lives and tell us what they see. And I think if we do that, that's going to give us the ability to assess to who we truly are and really make the changes that we need to make moving forward. You know, making sure that we're modeling Christ at home and in the workplace and in your neighborhood and making disciples, amen? Giving of your time and your money, not your leftovers or out of your excess, but sacrificially. And then continue to be an example for the rest of us, even within our own midst, so that we can catch up for those of us that maybe have gotten a little bit off track. You're modeling that example for one another moving forward. But I think ultimately keeping in mind that Satan is out there. He's looking. He's prowling. He's just waiting for that opportune moment. The thing that's awesome is if we continue to work on our salvation and remember how freely we have been given to and the grace that was given to us so freely as well, we can truly make a difference and have an impact in our local communities. Closing passage comes out of Isaiah 55, verse 10. It says, The rain and the snow came down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They caused the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You know, we look at this passage. I mean, it's totally prophetic about the power of the word, the power of Jesus Christ, and the power of what we share when we go out. He says, I'll send it out, and what's the outcome? It always produces. I think as we move forward into 2013, just remembering we are his servants. And as his servants, we've been called and then sent. We're called to be different, and that difference will totally make the difference in 2013 through the miraculous things that we see God doing and how God will be glorified. We're willing to demonstrate the love that he's given to us, demonstrate the love that he has called us to have for others. Now, as we move through 2013, let us start making the spiritual decision to have the 3D vision that we've talked about to live out discipleship so that we will prosper and God will be glorified in 2013. Amen?